from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt. Proud to be hanging out with you inside of the Cafe Kubal studios. You're also watching on Facebook Live on facebook.com backslash live now dt, and of course on youtube.com backslash wakeupcalldt. So a lot of places to watch and listen to Wake Up Call every single Monday through Friday, and I appreciate you being here. As always, inside of MonPazPopcorn.com is what's popping. Today we add two more Syracuse basketball alumni to our tourney time talk this season. You've heard from the likes of Dale Shackelford, Gene Waldron, Roosevelt, Bowie Jr. You've heard from John Wallace and company. So many different players have been on here. Uh, Jimmy Lee, I want to give a shout out. You can actually go check all of these out by going to anyone of uh, from Podbean to TuneIn to uh, Spotify and Stitcher, YouTube and iTunes and Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and searching Wake Up Call with Dan Satora, John Wallace, Jim Lee, Hal Cohen have all joined the show, Eric Santifer, Andre Hawkins, as well as uh, Gene Waldron, Rosie, and Dale, as I mentioned before. And now we bring Dennis Duvall into the show. Jersey retired, and as I told him, it's being, it's being handled with care as far as I can see inside of the dome so let's bring Dennis onto the show obviously had a tremendous career at Syracuse and I appreciate him so very much here in our community and happy to have him here today on wake-up call Dennis how we doing I'm doing great uh how you doing this morning I'm doing very well and and Dennis I want to start there because you and I uh, never really uh, dove into it you know uh, not I mean there's so many Syracuse players in history but there's not a lot you know, when you come into the Dome, you see that they've been, you know, steadily adding some jerseys there, but there's not a lot of jerseys compared to the amount of players that played. What does that mean to you that of the few names that hang inside of the Dome, that your name is one of them? Well, it's a pretty good feeling. And uh, it's just um, the fact that you're being recognized with those other guys and those other players over the years shows that, uh, you know, it's an accomplishment that uh, from a team perspective and obviously from an individual perspective, it's just a great honor to be amongst those guys whose names and jerseys are, are hanging in the dome. You know, and, and the other thing about it, too, is everybody knows Lawrence Moulton for the high socks, but you rock some high socks as well, almost all the way to the knee. I mean, did you do you deserve some credit? I know Lawrence gets it all, but should we... Should we lean a little bit to your side, too? Because I'm looking at the picture right now, and you were rocking the high socks also. Well, if you look closer, the entire team was rocking the high socks. <laughs> yeah. that, was, that was actually back, you know, obviously in, in the late, in the middle 70s. But that was the style back then. Uh, and everybody on the team, we had uh, uniform socks that, that came up high. That, that was part of the apparel at that point in time. Yeah, you know, and... and Dennis, I got to give you credit. I mean, the hair is on point, and and the just like I got, I got to give that. I mean, I got to give that to you. I know, I know the hairstyle is different today, but bring me, bring me into the hair because I'm, I'm loving, like I'm loving the afro I'm seeing here 
in this picture. Like, I, I really, honestly, I respect it. So, and I love music from all different times. So it brings me back to some musicians and whatnot. How was it to play in it? Did it ever bug you at all? And and did you have the best fro in Syracuse basketball history? Well, I can say I had the best fro in, in Syracuse basketball history. I will make that claim. Okay. I know there were others, but I think I had the best fro. But, uh, you know, at that point in time in in, uh, in my life and obviously in history, uh, you know, there was a lot of us that were, were rocking that style uh, back in the 70s. If you look, you know, Julius Irvin, myself, others, um, we, we had that fro. We come from the same area um, as, as Dr. J. And, uh, but that was something that uh, I was proud of. Um, and I uh, was part of my heritage. And obviously, you know, at that point in time in the 70s, it was to stop. And, what, I mean, to you, was it, was it inspired by Dr. J? I mean, was that your favorite player? Or, or was there somebody else that, you know, was your favorite player growing up? But how, how connected is that style to Dr. J in your opinion? Did you do it kind of as an ode to him and was he your favorite? Well, not, not, not particularly. Uh, my, my cousin uh, lived next door to him and grew up and went to high school with him. So I, I've known uh, Julius since, uh, I guess he was in the ninth grade and I was in the, in the uh, seventh grade. I've known him that long, but uh, that was, you know, that was just a style for, for people uh, you know, of color and uh, African-Americans showing their, their uh, cultural heritage. And it started obviously in the seventies, but uh a lot of a lot of guys had froze back then. If you look at the pictures, uh, just something that we did uh, back then as a style wise. A little bit different now, uh, obviously, but um, that was just part of the times. Well, the thing is that, like you said, a lot of people had them, but as you made the claim, and I'm going to rock with you on it that you had the best one in Syracuse basketball history. That's why I brought it up because this picture right. to me identifies you as the best, but. I need to go back to the fact, Dennis, that you're just casually said, oh, yeah, I've known Julius since he was in the ninth grade and I was in the seventh grade. You know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Julius Irving, like, can we go back to that, you know, I'm talking about Dr. J, and you're like, oh, yeah, Julius. Grew up next to, you know, a family member. I've known him for a while. Uh, bring me into the relationship with Julius Irving. Well, actually, I saw Julius uh, a couple years ago. We were at a charity event in uh, Las Vegas for a charter school. Um you know, he grew up in Nassau County. I grew up in Nassau County, which is downstate. Um, we uh, we played against each other. Uh, my older brother played against them in, in the parks and the areas. You know, you kind of had neighborhood and community rivals back then where you went from different parts of the, the island playing in different parks against each other in games. But um, I was recruited to go to UMass. Obviously, I chose... Uh, I chose Syracuse, which I thought was the better choice for me, and I'm, I'm, to this day, I'm glad I made it. Uh, but back then, um, you had Rick Pitino. You had Julius went there, Rick Pitino, Al Skinner. We all come from the same same uh, area in New York, and uh, they all were trying to recruit us. And obviously, with Julius being there, you know, uh, it would have been a great uh, great team. But uh, I forfeited over to, to the Cuse, and uh, I've been better for it ever since. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you talk about, you know, that decision and, and also coming from downstate and just the level of talent from, you know, from that area. Just what you can say to that, because Syracuse still has a bridge, obviously, to that area of talent and still has players from downstate on the team to today. So, you know, what does it mean to you to rep that and, and how important 
that was for you to come from where you came from and to come to Syracuse and and really, you know, wear that on your chest as well? Well, you know, we're all from that metropolitan New York area and, uh, you know, it has a, has a really, you know, good reputation for, for – um, basketball in general um if you look at the uh syracuse rosters over the years a lot of the great players come from that metropolitan area of new york new jersey uh and you know sort of in connecticut area um we 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 try to uphold that reputation obviously by you know our skill sets and working on our games and making sure when we do get to the college level and the pro levels that we represent it in the in the in the right way because you know at the end of the season and at the end of the school year we all go back home and uh, there's always a lot of chatter you know between guys that went to St. John's and guys that went to Syracuse you know back then or Manhattan College or Fordham so you had to hold it up. I'm lucky to say I never lost to any downstate teams yet, you know, St. John's, Fordham, or Manhattan College at the time were on our schedule. But um, so I had good good things to talk about when I went on. Yeah, you know, and, and the thing is, you know, Dennis, uh, speaking with Dennis Duval here on uh, Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios for Tourney Time Talk as we are amidst the NCAA tournament. Uh, Dennis, New York basketball is a staple of our country to me. And, you know, for you to say, like, you didn't, you never lost to those teams, so you got to go home and talk, and you got to go home, you know, with that undefeated record, I don't want that to go understated because, you know, in the state of New York in general, we talk and, we and, and you know, the those of us that know what it's like to be a true New Yorker, we talk it, we walk it. Where you come from, to go home undefeated – and to be able to talk it and walk it, like you got some street cred that probably still lasts to today. And what is, I mean, what can you say about New York basketball to really dive into it more? Because it's a part of the fabric of basketball. It's a part of the fabric of America. What's what true New York ball is, and you hail from that. So just what you could say about it. Well, you know, we we from New York in, in that metropolitan area where you lived in Queens, where you live in Nassau County, Brooklyn, Manhattan, you know, or Harlem. You know, we, we believe it's the mecca of basketball. Obviously, you know, with the Garden being there and over the years, um, obviously as New Yorkers, we we uh, we boast about that. Um, not only do we boast about it, you know, we uh, we make sure that when we get on the court, we, we can hold up what we talk about. So, you know, all of us are proud of being from that area. And obviously going to Syracuse, a lot of, a lot of my uh, people that I went to school with, my you know, fellow students, they're all from that area too, either from metropolitan New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. So we're all, you know, it's a family. And, you know, we, we've got to hold up that pride. You know, and Kadari Richmond, continuing that tradition right now, coming from the Brooklyn area, what does it mean to you? Coming from where you came from in New York and seeing seeing Syracuse continue that and have Kadari from Brooklyn on the team right now. Well, you know, I was happy to see that, and I I, I like the way he's playing. I think um, I know he had you know sort of a small injury there, and I, I'm sure he'll be back um, with this upcoming game. But just to see him play and watch his game, and knowing you know that he's from the area, he he I'm telling you, he's representing it well, and I'm sure he'll do even more in the future. What is it about Kadari Richmond that makes you believe, speaking here with Dennis Duvall of Syracuse Orange Basketball History, what makes you believe that he is repping New York well? Well, the fact that, you know, he plays hard. Uh, he plays both ends of the floor. 
of the fact that you know he's he's a good penetrator, uh, and, and when he penetrates, he finds the open person. I think uh, he helps spread that defense out, and I think that has a lot to do uh, with them when it comes to getting people open like like Buddy and others to take those three pointers or, or open shots. I think uh, he, he represents that in terms of uh, a guard and being able to see the full floor and being able to find other people uh, to make things better. You know, and, and Kadar, like you said, he plays both sides of the floor. He has the wherewithal. He's got a lot of intelligence, a lot of basketball IQ from my point of view that, number one, he attacks the, besides Marek, he attacks the basket better than, better than any other on the team. And he has the wisdom that when that shot clock is running down, he'll hold on to the ball, he'll kind of look and see it, and then he'll make sure he takes a shot and he'll jump and bump and make sure he hits a guy so he goes to the free throw line. Just what you could say about his intelligence of knowing when that shot clock's running down, I'm not just going to take a jumper, I'm going to get myself fouled and try to make the shot. Just his acrobatic plays, making sure he gets fouled, and then on the defensive end, the fact that he actually will kind of key in on different things and jump his hand in to grab a steal where we haven't seen that in Syracuse in a while. Well, the fact that, you know, he's cognizant of the clock and, and, and he knows uh, how, how to use the clock at the, at the end of it, you know, he, he goes to, to the hole, meaning that um, he knows if he gets all the way to the hoop, they have two things. They're either going to foul him or he's going to make the shot. And then usually, you know, his, his mindset is, you know, the ref's going to call that. You know, when you start trying to get all the way to the hole, you know, him, that what you say you call a bump, that's going to be calling college basketball. So he has that to his advantage. Um, he has his innate ability to figure out exactly when to, when to do it, you know, and that puts pressure on the defense, obviously, to be able to either they're either going to have to stop him or he can pass it off to someone for a short layup or he can get his shot. Um, as far as, you know, he's got long arms, which, you know, he's got long arms and he knows how you know, when to, to reach in. In college basketball, sometimes it's hard to reach in because they'll call it quick, but he seems to be able to get away with it. Uh, he seems to be able to make steals at, you know, in opportune times, and uh, I think that's to the, to the defense's advantage. Speaking here with Dennis Duvall about uh, Kadari Richmond, I want to go back to your play, speaking about, you know, Kadari coming from, you know, the uh, the – the beautiful area, you know, same type of area that you talked about, you know, the mecca of basketball in the great state of New York. And I, I want to go back to, you were known to be a flashy player, and your nickname was, was Sweet D. So uh, I want you to bring me into the Flash Sweet D. You had a pregame show. There was a lot of stuff that, that you did. You brought, like, entertainment to sports and that excitement out of Westbury, so bring me into uh, what what life was like on the court through you through your eyes and and what uh, what the world of Sweet D was like. Well, first of all, I didn't give myself that name. <laughs> Someone else did that. Uh, a guy named Joel Marinas, who was an announcer, radio announcer, and worked for WSYR uh, TV and radio, is the one that came up with that. So once he did it, you know, I didn't have too much say in in, uh, in what I was being called. But as far as the pregame. Um, drill that happened by mistake we were actually uh coach coach Danforth uh started that before practice one day I was screwing around 
guys passes. We were doing layups, and, and I was messing around doing fans, you know, you know, passing the ball between my legs, behind my back, and stuff. Stuff that you know, growing up in New York on, on those courts, you know, you did it during the game, and, and that was an error, you know, Pistol Pete, and a lot of other things. And it just was a style of play that we had. But coach caught me doing that, and he said, "Hey, can you do that?" before the game if we have a layup line i said i'll do whatever you want so we only did it during home games um and it was a layup drill and you know at the, um, basically what i did was you know i passed it to my team i stood in the middle of the floor by the foul line and they cut off me and i gave them passes and at the end you know i did a layup i went behind my back and between my legs and and, and um laid it up and that was the end of the drill and then we you know we started shooting around but uh it got the crowd excited uh, it got me pumped a lot of times, got our team pumped. You know, it was something that, um, you know, my coach asked us, to, you know, for me to do and for us to do. He Something he wanted done. And uh, obviously, uh, he was a pretty good crowd pleaser. If you look at the history of him, uh, he, he liked getting them worked up. And I'll tell you something. I lost one home game in four years of college. Yeah. So, it's tough, tough place to play. Yeah, you know, and and to go back to that, I mean, losing one, one home game, I mean that, and and just, I mean, paint us a picture. You played back uh, from seventy one to seventy four at Syracuse. Paint paint me the picture. This is you know obviously before the dome. This is this is Manly Fieldhouse. This is this is that like tight knit space. Guys breathing down your neck. You know the fans are right there with you. This is real deal. Like nitty gritty, not that the dome is not, but like Manly Fieldhouse, you could feel people's breath. You could smell what they had for dinner last night. So, what was that like to be be inside of that and to only lose one time? Well, it was great for us. Guys from the opposite team, yeah. I don't think they were too happy uh, about coming there. And, and if you talk to over the years. Not too many teams wanted to come play us at Manly Fieldhouse. Um, the fact of the closeness to it, the fact that we had a long history of winning there, um, the fans were unbelievable. I mean, when I say unbelievable, I mean today's fans are great, and, and but so were they back back then, you know. But um, it was a tough place to play. Uh, the floor was three feet off the ground. It was it was off the ground. It wasn't on. It was three raised off the uh, off the ground. It was great, great for to play on as far as a basketball player running up and down. It was good on, good on your legs. But um, we knew, you know, we could beat anybody in that place. And we, we knew that um, if you came there, you, you possibly, you, you were going to go home with a, with a, with a loss. And uh, we always felt that way. You know, we couldn't wait to, to play whoever it was. You know, we didn't have the biggest teams, but um, you weren't you weren't going to overpower us, and it wasn't going to be because uh, you know you had a little bit more size. We pressed you um, sometimes forty minutes. We pressed full court. We dropped back in zones, and uh, but we pressed you from end to end. You know, we try to run you till your tongue hung out, basically. Yeah, you know, and and that's the thing. I mean, going back to Manly. Everybody knows, you know, the dome these days, and they and they focus on what that's been since you know 1980 when when it opened. But for you, Manly Fieldhouse still stands. It's obviously different. It's used for different things. But what does it mean to you to you know drive by that? What do you think of? What are the memories? What sticks out the most about 
those days where Syracuse basketball was in that tight knit close quarters of Manly Fieldhouse? Well, you know, I, I remember just looking at it the first time I saw it coming from high school to that. It seemed like a huge place, you know what I mean? Which it was back then. Um, but just the memories of, of um, you know, playing there, you know, the, the battles that we had um, with, with certain teams where uh, we beat St. John's. They were number seven in the country, and they came, and we beat them on um, Valentine's Day. Um I think it was 1973 where they were number seven in the country and we, we, you know, they left there with a loss, you know, those games and, and obviously, you know, uh, our relationship with the fans uh, during that period of time, you know, it was great. And just to, you know, watching the, the program grow and being part of that, you know, when you ride by there and you look at, you know, what it was and, and then and where the program is now, it, it's so great to see, you know, watching it grow and grow and grow and being part of that, that whole era and that family of Syracuse basketball, you know, means a lot. You know, De- speaking here with Dennis Duvall, Syracuse Orange men's basketball history, Dennis, the more we talk this morning, the more it is clear for people to see that you are rich in tradition and the history of Syracuse basketball when you look back on your time and and you think about Manly Fieldhouse and like you said the best fro in the history of Syracuse Orange basketball plus the jerseys retired plus losing one game at home your entire career plus you know uh, what you did and kind of that pregame show to get everybody pumped up I I mean for you to take all of that and 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 put it all together what is you know when I say Syracuse basketball to you Dennis what are the first things that come to your mind? Because you are such a part of our history. You're a part of this city. You're a part of New York basketball in general that we spoke about and the tradition of that and the respect of that and the grit of that. That, you know, if you get respected all around the country, but you go back home to downstate New York and, and, and you know, and, and, they, and you don't have respect from them, you're like, you're trying to earn that too. And, I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that, you know, coming from where you came from, playing for who you played for, being a part of the tradition, being in Manly, everything that we've talked about so far, when you think Syracuse and you think about your career, what are the first things that come to mind? Because anybody that doesn't know you, I mean, they're getting educated this morning and and I'm I'm like a kid in my studio, just really excited that we get to have this talk. So Well, you know, it's just being being part of that. Um you know, it, it's, it was uh, obviously a life-changing experience for me. Um, and like other other players, uh, some of us, we, we still have those relationships now with our team members. You know, that never goes away. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know what the history is. You know, a lot of people are current. So sometimes you have to remind them. <laughs> when, yeah. You know, they, you know, most people think of what's going on and what's right in front of them now, and that's great, and there's nothing wrong with that. But um, all good things had a beginning, and um, we were all part of it. You know, and, and and you look back on your teammates, and you said that you're always a family. Speak with me on some of those teammates that that you stay close with you know today or that you know you've you've stayed close with throughout your time the ones that really stick out to you that you had at Syracuse from 71 to 74 
Well, Jimmy Lee and I are, are close. We, we talk frequently. Um, his brother Mike doesn't live too far from me. Um, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we, we always try to stay in touch and, um, you know, communicate with each other. But obviously, Jimmy and I work played in the backcourt together, so we have obviously a different, you know, different relationship. <clears throat> he, he was a year behind me, and, and uh, but we played together, you know, for two years in, in the backcourt. But, um, you know, seeing the guys doing alumni weekend uh, is meaningful because, you know, life, life goes on. But uh, it's just important. You know, and, and seeing them, like you said, during Alumni Weekend and being around each other, you know, we, we obviously uh, honor those that have passed, you know, Conrad McCray, uh, Pearl Washington, and, 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 and so on and so forth. I mean, there's, there's some incredible people that have come through here that aren't here today to sit with us. I didn't have the pleasure to speak with Conrad. I had the pleasure of sitting with Pearl and before you know really a year before he got sick again we got to go around the community and we went to uh, three different places in the community and did shows i remember at carvel dewitt we sat there we did a show and i was running i was running the camera and and we were both sitting next to each other talking and these two women came in they were sisters and you know like not just they were they were sisters in in the church and they came in, and one of the coolest things that I know from uh, growing up Catholic, growing up Christian, is that the is that you know uh, the the church is very involved with basketball, and there are so there are some nuns that they go hard on that NCAA tournament, you know, betting money like they put it on, and one of them noticed Pearl, and they're like, oh my god, and she came over. And I was going to edit it out because it was in the middle of our conversation. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to because it showed Pearl stopping mid-conversation to greet somebody, to ask her how her, her day was, to take her hand in his hands, and to thank her so much for everything she did. And he was very calm. And Dennis, I'll never forget, I think it was the last time he was in my car. And it's the funniest thing because he lived in Liverpool, and and uh, and and it's it's just crazy like how close he was to where I grew up and everything. And when we were talking, we sat in a car, remember exactly where we were, and he said, and and I try with all of you, and and I know, I mean, you did a tremendous thing with me uh, with my festival, and so many did. I mean, you guys have been by my side in in an incredible way. And Pearl sat next to me in my car, and he said. He said, you know what, Dan? He said, you know, I appreciate you. And I said, you know, I appreciate you too, Pearl. And he said, you know, he's like, I call us friends, but we're not friends. He goes, with everything we've been through and talked about and stuff we did, he goes, we're more like brothers. We're family now. And that was one of the last things that Pearl said to me when we were sitting in the car together. And I didn't know when he got out of my car that day that that would be the last time. Yeah. And so I think, you know, moments like that, I want to thank Pearl. I want to thank you, like, you guys, beyond my job, beyond grew up, growing up watching basketball, beyond my entire family supporting Syracuse from my grandparents on down, I, I, I want to thank you personally and thank Pearl and, and thank Dale and, and Rosie and, and Sonny and Jimmy and, and, and everybody out there for being incredible personally in my life and building a relationship with me because 
You know, I mean, you guys, beyond anything you did on the court, you make me feel special when I'm around you all. And to me, you guys were all larger than life growing up. So I just want to tell you, I I really respect it and I appreciate it. So do I. I I'm, uh, I'm glad to talk to you. Glad, I'm glad I met you. Um, like I said, anytime you need anything, all you got to do is call. And coming from Dennis Duvall here today. Dennis, we got some messages coming in. It says, uh, Sweet D was a pleasure, pleasure to watch in Manly. My friends and I still talk about watching him play Buzz SU class of 70. And then he said, uh, Sweet D, Kid Coles, the Lee brothers. Uh, these guys put Syracuse basketball on the map. And then he, he said uh, he has on his ringtone, but it's all right. On, on, on the, and he said, I used to play, but it's all right in the lounge of Del Plain 2 and mimic Sweet D's ball handling tricks. So yeah, that, that was one of the songs we, we warmed up to. We had music back then. Uh, that was yeah. one of the things we built in the 70s we had a lot of music and um, that was one of the songs you know and that's the thing you guys had you guys were spoiled like my, my music goes back like I was growing up listening to like 60s and 70s music I listen to everything I listen to to right. jazz I listen to hip-hop R&B like that soul music I listen now I listen to country which I never did before but <laughs> but I kind of like grab into all of it what were what were some of your favorite songs to warm up to back in Manly? Well, we obviously we had the Isley Brothers too. Who's that lady? It's all right. Um, and, and the guy that made the tape was our teammate uh, Bobby Dooms. He's the one that put all the music together. He was my roommate uh, in college. But uh, we had a lot. Of, we had a combination of a lot of different things. The theme from Shaft. I don't know if you remember that with Isaac Hayes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it was, you know, a lot of Motown, a lot, you know, just a mixture of, of things that, uh, but more of, a, of an upbeat kind of thing. But uh, people knew when we were coming out of the locker room and the music started playing. And, so. and, and I think we need some of that now. Now we just get like, I mean, no offense to the band music, but we get that now. Like, I, I need, I, I mean, if you came out, I mean, if they came out now to like, some Isley Brothers, some Marvin Gaye. I'd, I'd be standing. See, my thing is, if that camera ever catches me in the dome, I told my buddy Isaac that sits next to me, love Isaac, shout out to him, uh, Isaac Elford. But when the music comes on in the dome and I catch a song that I like, I'm always back there and my shoulders are rocking and I'm like, I'm singing in the music, I'm having a good time. I'm like, man, I'm going to be the first media guy that gets picked up on ESPN for this. <laughs> so, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, the music got us going, and, and it got the crowd going. Um, we came out of the tunnel when the music started. It was on, you know, and it's great. And I got a message here from uh, Dale Shackelford. Said big hello to uh, to us here, and he also uh, made mention. He said, "Please give my best to Dennis," and he says, "Orange for life." And then, uh, and then we got a message that came in that said, uh, "Tell him he's unforgettable," and. Then I got another message from Alan here that said, let me see where it is. It says, ask Dennis to tell his Roy Danforth recruiting move that sealed the deal. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, well, I just talked to Dale a couple weeks ago. So we talked by phone. That's one of the, my, you know, I didn't mention that I talked to regularly. But the Dale, the Danforth move was, um, they had an all-star game in Schenectady, New York called the Schoolboy Classic. 
back back then where all the top players from Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, and New York played in an All-Star game. I was on the uh, the New York team. I made the New York team, and uh, I was starting guard in the New York team. We wind up winning the entire tournament. So we beat all the other states um, at, that, at that time. There was probably, I don't know, they say there was a hundred and something college coaches there. It was a big event. Yeah. Was, you know, um, Julius Irvin won the MVP in it um, years back. And, and uh, I went there, you know, not knowing exactly what school I was going to at the time. Obviously, I was being recruited by Syracuse, St. John's, Jacksonville. I had 200 scholarship offers, but uh, I wasn't really sure exactly where I was going to go. So at the end of the game, I get the MVP. I still have the trophy at home. And, you know, now I'm the MVP of the tournament, and we win it, and I'm in the locker room, and I'm in the shower. You know, I got all these coaches in there. Danforth um, pushes, and I'm supposed to go to Syracuse the next week yeah. for my official visit. He busses through the crowd that's in there. He walks into the shower where the water's running and it, with his shoes on, <laughs> and he says, he says to me, you are coming to Syracuse next week, aren't you? I said, yeah, coach, I'll be there. I said, but, you know. And I just take the shower. He goes, hey. He says, I got to get ahead of these other guys. He says, uh, you got to promise me that you're coming next week. I said, I'll be there. And obviously I came and uh, I signed my letter of the next week. But uh, he was a little worried that uh, <laughs> that someone else was going to scoop me up. But, you know, at that point in time, I had already made my decision uh, between myself and my high school coach, who, who was uh, my guidance counselor and, and – uh, almost like a father to me so we already decided but i you know i didn't i had to make an official visit but uh he uh, he pushed right in front of the line he walked right in the shower he did not care well you know and you know the thing but he got you you know what i mean he got to me me, that's for sure and and you you mentioned your you mentioned your coach who's like a father figure to you give him a shout out because i think you know, obviously that relationship is special. Ed Krinsky. Ed Krinsky. He was he was uh he was actually there when my uh jersey was retired. He came up for that. He still lives in Long Island. Uh still alive. He's uh, eighty six years old. What does it mean to you to to still have him here with you today, especially after everything we've been through this past year? Well, it's pretty important. Pretty important. And what did he say anything to you the day your jersey was retired? Or was there anything that kind of stuck with you? No, we just no, not really, not really. I mean, it was enough said that day. Trust me. What What were the things that you know you remember the most said that day, done that day, and embrace when your jersey was retired? Um, more so, you know, just all the people congratulating me. That was important. You standing? Nothing, Nothing special. Just you know, just you know, being grateful. You stand in the dome, and you have that moment. At Manly Fieldhouse, you built that moment. What does it mean to you to live within both worlds? 
of Manly and the Dome and to have them both know you, both respect you, and what you did in one is now represented in the other? Um, I don't know. It's, um, it's just a closure, you know, that um, being recognized for what you did in college and um, other people recognize, not just yourself, your teammates, those type of things. It's important to know that um, your teammates respect you yeah. and that you didn't do it yourself. You had a full team behind you, um, and you can't win without them. So, not just me. Well, I mean, and, and that's that's the thing. You know, you talk about that, that, you know, they, they were behind you. They were there with you. To to know them still to today and to have that connection, to have that love, to have that brotherhood, I would imagine to you that the friendships that you built and the connections that you have go well beyond any wins and losses. I mean, yeah, you guys can reminisce, but the fact that they're still in your life and the fact that they wanted to congratulate you that day, I would imagine, you know, all these years later that that to you has to be the uh, the sweetest part of being Sweet D, so to speak. Yeah, it is. But, uh, you know, from, from an end of, you know, you could score, I could score a lot more points. That, that's, you know, and I know that. Um, in the game, you know, I can I can get myself worked up. Well, you know, I might score more points, but we're gonna lose the game. We're gonna lose the game because you're gonna get out of team concept. And sometimes it's not about you know, even though you're scoring and people depending on that, you know, you you've got to sacrifice to make your your, your teammates better and to make sure that they're involved in the game. Um, scoring points and being able to score and, you know, those are good things, but those are individual issues. You know, I, I think that, you know, the, the success I had was because of my teammates. Um, you know, you can't be selfish. You got to understand that, you know, that this is a team concept. If you look to championship teams, you know, uh, they work together and, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of size, but we had a lot of grit, but, um, you know, you know, I averaged twenty something a game my senior year and almost twenty my junior years. Could I score? Sure, I could have, but that wasn't the issue. That wasn't important to me. Important to me was winning. Yeah, you know, and 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 I respect that because some people look out for their shot. They look out for themselves. And they don't care. And in your case, you wanted everybody to eat, not just yourself. But I wanted to win. Yeah, that's what I wanted. Yeah, you want you wanted the team to rise, not just you to have the accolades. So, yeah, I wanted to win first. The other stuff is secondary. You know, got to win first. So, what do you say to players in college and players in the NBA now, especially in the NBA, where you know it sometimes looks like a one man show? I mean, Russell Westbrook was the triple double king, but Oklahoma City wasn't going anywhere. So, what what is your advice to the guys that? Are just focused on the me and not the we as they you know as as they try to build their stat line, but their team never goes anywhere. Well, you know the bottom line is this: it's a win. You know, it's a win or lose league. That's the way I look at it. You can score all the points you want, but if you ain't winning, it don't mean anything. You know, and the guys that are around you know. You know, I'm part of this team too. Um, I don't care how good you are. You know, um, 
they have to be part of what you're doing and you have to be part of what they're doing. And the teams that have success are with, with superstars that understand that, recognize that, and play to that agenda. Um, and look at the teams that win championships. Um, yeah, they have good, some guys have good nights and you got to know, you know, who you need to go to, who needs to get it and, and get it when. And there's times, you know, I'll be honest, it's where, you know, I would say, you know, when I was even in college, you know, I said, look, I got to take this game over. But you got to know when to do that yeah. and when not to do it. Um, and there's a balance. The balance is the end is how did we win or how did we lose? You have to accept both of it, but you have to understand it and you have to recognize it um, during the game. That's being part of the leader. So uh, it's not all about you. It's about us, and you just got to figure out how we do this together. You know, at the end of the night, it's not about who scored the most points on the team. It's whether we won or lost, and those are the teams that have success. Now, um, there's guys that, that I played against, and you know, and there's guys that uh, a, game named, a guy named Larry Fogel who played for Canisius, you know, he, he averaged 40-something points a game. But, you know, didn't win any NCAA championships either. So, you know, you know, it is what it is. Each guy's got to do what he's got to do. But, you know, I grew up in a concept where, you know, we uh, we had good teams. We had good players. <clears throat> you know, I was probably the better of them all. But, you know, at that time when I was on the team. But, you know, you got you got to be able to share. You got to be able to play within a team concept. And I love that. We're going to talk about this team in just a second. And the fact that you can say that, that you knew what you had, but... It's a team concept. I respect that so much, and it takes a lot to say something like that. Dennis Duval here with us on Wake Up Call with Dan Satora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios. Before we get to the team that's happening now, uh, Roy Danforth, we had the question come in. Uh, I mean, obviously at Syracuse, he went to four straight NCAA tournaments. He went to a Final Four in 74-75. And after his fourth trip to the NCAA tournament with Syracuse, he went off to Tulane where things were never the same. 148 wins, 71 losses at Syracuse, 45 wins, double that in losses in Tulane with 90. The question coming in from a Syracuse fan was, do you know why he left? Yeah, I know why. Money. <laughs> I'm not going to put it in there. Listen, I love Coach Stanford, but I'm sure it was about money. Um, that's what drives coaches away. It wasn't, uh, you know... They, they think that there's greener on the other side, and you know what? It, it might have been, but uh, he's still connected to us. Um, I'm actually driving right now, but he's still connected to us. But I'm sure he, you know, he's offers a, a better opportunity. He thought was about a better opportunity. I have no problem with that. You know, um, fact of the matter, what he did is uh, by him leaving, it created the opportunity for, for Coach Bayhan. Yeah. Which, you know, can't look back because I tell you what, he's done an extremely great job uh, with the program. He's held it up what it is, but um, he's motivated probably by a better contract. And that's what happens. But, you know, life's not always greener on the other side. Yeah, even even though it was the green wave. So, uh, with, that, with that being stated here, uh, two final points here with Dennis Duvall. Uh, first one. Dennis, what do you think about the team? They got San Diego State, a six seed. Syracuse gets an 11. They're right on the line where I had them predicted in my own bracketology at number 11. I thought they were going to make them play in. I'm happy the committee did not. I want to thank 
everybody in Baldwinsville on 50 Oswego Street at Pizza Man Pub that was there with us for our uh, bracket announcement broadcast with Demetrius Nichols, a fellow Syracuse alum, and uh, hearing the fans erupt in real time when they saw Syracuse's name on the on the giant screen uh, was one of the coolest moments of my life as a broadcaster and as a native of Syracuse. Uh, what can you say about this year's team and what how they're playing right now? Maybe just you know your overall bullet points of what's sticking out to you from from the team either individually with some of the guys or as a whole? Well, what I like, uh, they're obviously um, playing better at the end of the season, which is important. Um, they seem to have a lot of better spacing um, as it pertains to their offense, and they've been more aggressive defensively. You know, Jimmy's got, you know, he throws in a press now and then. He puts pressure on the other teams. Um, and I think what that does, it, it you know, it causes – you know, the other team to have some confusion, but it also spreads the, spreads the, you know, the ball out, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, steals and that type of thing. Uh, I think that um, offensively, um, uh, Buddy Beheim's doing a great job. Uh, he's scoring. He's finding more space and getting those open shots. Um, I think their, their penetration of the guards is important. Uh, I know they've had a few injuries, but, you know, I think they're overcoming. They'll overcome that. San Diego State is a tough team. I mean, they, they deserve the sixth rank, ranking. Um, uh, there's a reason for that. It's because they've been winning. And they're yeah. going to be a tough out. I'm not, I think Syracuse can overcome that. I think they, with their zone, they're going to force them force them to make shots. Um, but they're capable of it. I think if we get off to a good start, I like Edwards in the middle. But Jimmy's bringing them in, you know, uh, behind Dolce and, and – um, and I think that he, he can um, be a force inside um, at certain periods of time. Rebounding is key. Possessions is a key. And rebounding brings that possessions. Those are the things that I think are going to help them. As long as they stay aggressive offensively, don't get passive, don't get side to side, um, um, I think they can win this game. But it's going to be tough. Definitely going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah, they will be challenged, San Diego State. Uh, 23 and four. Uh, interesting note here: uh, San Diego State against teams that are that are in the tournament this year. There's not many they played. Uh, UCLA is a play-in game. They defeated them in the in the San Diego State Thanksgiving Classic, 73 to 58 to start off the season. They lost to BYU. They lost back-to-back games on the road at Utah State, and then they came back and defeated Utah State to win the the uh, Mountain West Championship in the Mountain West Tournament. So they're 1-2 against Utah State. They're 0-1 against BYU, and they're 1-0 against UCLA for tournament-wise teams. Uh, and Syracuse has seen them before. They've seen them on an aircraft carrier, and they will see them again, which will be uh, interesting. Who to you is playing their best basketball on the team right now? And so I'm going to ask you uh, three different pieces here. Who's playing their best basketball on Syracuse right now? Who's been the leader all season? And who's the most underrated player? Well, I think the best one right now is obviously Buddy. Yeah. He's doing what they, he's doing what we call in the business what they paid him to do. Putting the ball in the hole, man. That's what he's doing. And he's doing a good job of it. Um, I think uh, – Cadre is the most underestimated one, the one you said that don't get enough credit, in my opinion. Yeah. I like Griffin. Um, 
um, for what he's done so far. But, you know, hands down, but Buddy's bringing it. He's bringing it, what we call bringing it. So, and that's important. They need his scoring. They need it, you know, because when he goes, they go. So, it's not that they can't win without him, but, you know, he's a key factor because he puts a lot of pressure on the defense. And even if he's not scoring, if he's getting in position, he, he's going to make he's going to get that space because they got to spread. they got to come out and guard him. You know what I mean? Because he's going to hit that shot. You know, it's funny, it's funny after the game where he uh, he made a bunch of threes against NC State, I said, I, I said, hey, man, I said, save some of those for Virginia. And he said, I got you. And he did. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, but yeah. I, I mean, over a thousand points in three seasons and counting, he's got an extra year. I mean, th- there, there's a chance that I would say he could pass made threes of Jerry McNamara. And there's a chance he could get himself to 2000 if he sticks around. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's a good possibility. Uh Whatever he does, he deserves. He works hard. He works hard. I know that. So, it's good to see. Good to see. Yeah, coming from Dennis Duvall. Dennis, final piece here. As a player, you got asked a lot of questions, and you never really got to ask them. So, I'm going to flip the script on me. And with Dennis Duvall here, Syracuse Orange Basketball History on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora inside of the Cafe Kubal Studios, I want you to put me on the hot seat. You can ask me any three questions in the world. It can be basketball related, sports related, or it could be about literally anything. But you got three. You could go ahead. Ask you a trivia question. Okay. Who who is the first SU player to be drafted, undergrad drafted, either in the NBA or the ABA? You're gonna you're gonna get the answer right away because I'm asking you the question. (laughs) Well, it was you, but I think the interesting thing is you got drafted by the NBA and the ABA. Because people forget that they were separate. And so, I mean, when you got drafted by both, how difficult of a decision? I mean, I mean, obviously the NBA and the ABA was trying to get in there, but how weird was that for you? I mean, especially to look back on it now, that you were drafted by two leagues, not like overseas versus playing in the NBA, drafted by two leagues here in America. How's, how unique was that for you? Well, you know, the NBA wasn't drafting um, uh, underclassmen. The ABA was. So I got drafted my junior year, which Coach Stanford knew. Uh, well, everyone knew about it. You know, he was concerned that I wasn't coming back. And, um, you know, I had to make a decision. I made my decision. So um, kept my commitment to uh, Syracuse basketball. I was offered a contract. Didn't take it. Um, probably the best thing, you know, got my degree. All those things are important. Um, but yeah, it was, it was different, but you had two leagues, a lot of competition. Um, you know, a lot of competition. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot. Now my second question to you is this, um, what do you see in terms of the past generations to the current generations? When you look at players, how do you rate them as far as who who could play in what generation? Do you look at them just by what they're doing at their time or whether or not they're, they're generation-driven, meaning could they play in all the generations? Because people always ask, well, who's the best player? Who's this? Who's that? And I don't believe in that. 
Okay. <laughs> because it, it has a lot to do with the times you're playing. Uh, but a lot of people put emphasis on that. Um, but I look at guys, when I, when I think about those things, I look at it differently. So I'm just, what your perspective would be when you, when you view uh, talent and you look at past players compared to current players and how do you view that? The first time I've ever been asked that question, and I and I appreciate. I, no, no, <laughs> no. I love it though. Like I, it's a fantastic question. I do want to ask you when you com- when you committed to staying with Syracuse, even though the NBA wasn't drafting underclassmen, and they came after you as a junior. Did Roy come back in the shower with his shoes on to get you to stay? No, he didn't. And he didn't make any. And he didn't make any additional promises either to get me to come back. I can tell you that. So Fair enough. It was. It was. Uh, you know, we had a we had a uh, good relationship, um, but it was tough. It was tough for him, and it was tough for me. So, yeah, I but can't. I came back. I came back. You did, and continue to. It was all about finances, financial. You know what I mean for my family, which uh, you know. Sometimes that's not the most important thing in life. Yeah, you know, but, I mean, you coming back, Syracuse fans, uh, very happy that you did. <sighs> to answer your question about what guys could play now in other generations, you know, I think LeBron, because of his physicality, I think he could play and impress in other generations. I feel like he would be challenged, but putting him up against... You know, certain guys would be fun to watch. I think the centers of today, if there even is one in the NBA, I don't I don't think, I think they'd have a tough road. Like if Dirk Nowitzki had to really back a guy down consistently, he would hate it if he had, I mean, I think if, if the guys now had to play Shaq and they had to play Akeem and they had to play Kareem, you know, I, I think, I think it would be a different, world and so I think the guys that would transcend time again with a question that I really appreciate I think I think Steph Curry because of his shooting range I would have loved to see I I would have loved to see him play Reggie all the time so that would have been cool so I think Steph's range could could transcend I think Kobe Bryant I could see him playing with Larry Bird and Magic and I could see him going back to those times. So I think he would translate. I think Jordan would translate to today. I th- I think Magic would translate to today. I think Kareem would shock people. I think, you know, the Shaquille O'Neal of the Magic and some time with the Lakers, I think he would just frustrate the hell out of guys now. So I, I think there's certain guys that could do it. But of the young guys... LeBron's physicality, Steph's shot, Kobe's all-around game. Uh, I would have to say all of them, but, you know, the James Harden, let me shoot 19 threes a game, I, that would get lost. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't think, well, go ahead, what were you going to say? I, it, well, what you, what you just proved to me was this. That's why they're all Hall of Famers. Those are the people that could play generationally. And James Harden's one of them, in my opinion. But all the people you've mentioned, either they're all Hall of Famers. Those are the people that are generational people. So those are the ones that I think 
whether it be college or whether it be basketball or whether it be the pros, those are the ones that come across the generational um, strife, that they can play in any generation. And most of those people wind up being Hall of Famers. That, that was my point. That's yeah. why I asked you that. Yeah, and I love the question. And you're going to make That's me why. think. You're going to make me think about all day long. I'm going to be putting a list together. I'm going to be texting you, going, "All right, you know, Gary Payton defensively. Like, there's guys that come to mind that that are just special. And I mean, I think Akeem Olajuwon because he was that guy that could, that, you know, that could pump fake. You turn around and hit that fadeaway as a big man. And you know, I feel like now the big man's game. Back then, he was the guy doing it, and now, like, every forward's doing it. So, he would translate to today as well. So, yeah, what's, what's your last question for me? I don't have one. <laughs> that was a, a two-question uh, question. Okay, fair enough. I get off easy on that one. But uh, yeah. with that being said, Dennis Duval, Syracuse Orange Men's Basketball History, Tourney Time Talk, and uh, all of the – memories you brought today. Dennis, uh, all I can tell you is I look forward to, you know, just sitting down and, and grabbing a, a cup of coffee with you. I think we need to do that soon. And I uh, I respect you so much for all the work you put forward. And thank you for your kind words to me. And, and just, you know, my grandparents would be really happy to know that I'm talking to you right now. So thank you for that. Thank you for the, uh, the positivity and the love and and like I said, we'll we'll definitely have to make sure we get together. The next time we talk, we'll have to be in the same room. I hope so. All right. And, uh, thanks for thanks for everything. I really appreciate uh, you giving me the opportunity to talk to you and also to be your friend. So thanks. Well, the pleasure is all on my end, Mr. Duvall. I appreciate it very much. Yep. <laughs> talk to you soon. Okay. Bye bye. Take care. So that coming from Dennis once again, hanging out here on Wake Up Call. With Dan Tortora, where sports meets that thing called life. We're going to take a quick step aside and. Wow, that was. That was really meaningful. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I've been doing this thing for 17 plus years and I feel like I come on the air and I, I say, like, wow, that was amazing. But, I mean, God continues to give, you know. <clears throat> what I did with Juanita Ward last night was amazing. What Tammy Reese and I have done over the last few weeks and in general has been amazing to me. My conversation with Rex Culpepper, amazing last week that you all got to watch. I mean, he says so many things about Syracuse football that you had n- probably no idea about. And then talking with Dennis this morning, like Dennis thanking me for being his friend. Stop it. <laughs> Stop Like, Stop it, man. I mean, that's, that's, thank you uh, to everybody that listens, that watches, that's a part of the show, that hangs out with us, that, you know, is here on Wake Up Call. I, I appreciate you. I do.